Hello. Hey. How's it going? It's uh it's getting closer. It's uh beginning oh. of the school year, you always end up in kind of a weird place where part of you is like regretful of the summer that's leaving. But you do get into a little bit of excitement. It's it's a draining excitement, though, because you've got to do all this shit. I am hopeful that the campus I'm on seems kind of chill. Okay, good. That's a good sign. It seems like, you know, not from just what they're saying, but what teachers, like veteran teachers that are there are saying. Okay, that's important. Yeah, it's like they give you kind of they give you space as long as you're not like an asshole you know you're like actually being bad as a teacher something then then you're good you know like sounds great so yeah i mean in that regard although it'll be it's intense and and tiring and all that i think it'll be cool that must be kind of nice to still have that like rhythm of back to school in your life because like i think that can be a frustrating thing that adulthood is like there's no place to start over. Yeah, except so, for like New Year's, and that sucks. Nobody cares about that. Right, yeah, because nothing in your material, like your work life changes. So I, th- I think that is one of the, you know, someone mentioned that in, in one of our meetings and stuff. It was like, it is one of the few professions you do get to start fresh each each year, you know, get to say, okay, reset. Besides an artificial sort of fiscal year sort of thing, you know, you literally get to take a big break, you know. And each year is different, too, because you end up with different kids, maybe different classes, you know, different coworkers. Well, you know, and that, that part, other professions deal with, too, of different customers in their in their sense. But but it's it's so much more of like, like a rolling sense of change versus a turning the page new chapter. Yeah, yeah. totally. And and it can be really monotonous just to be like, I, I can't keep track of like who's all come and gone and you know, what different projects I've been on and stuff like that. And like, yeah, like the only changes, I don't, this is really going to sound dorky. I've come to appreciate seasonal changes more as an adult because I think I'm like craving that sense. Mm -hmm. So, so like maybe, maybe this is why old people like talking about the weather. They're just like, hell yeah. Also, sorry, I've got Remy again today. So he's just yelling. (laughs) Oh, it's okay. Uh, Yeah, that makes sense. You know, some sort of, rhythm some sort of cycle some definitive change that you can like you know those those chapters or whatever because i do feel like you're right in an office job you're it's like the proverbial you know frog in the boiling water you don't really notice the change happening as it's happening you're just kind of going around you know yeah yeah uh remy do you have anything to add to this conversation comrade remy no now you're quiet now that i put you Right up on the mic. You're not going to contribute. You little punk. You're so cute. I think Mal said this was a type of liberalism. It's going about in private, spouting off at the mouth, and then coming up in the party meetings and not saying anything. Remy. Comrade Remy, you stand accused. Remy, how do you plead? I'm bouncing him in an effort to get him to speak. (laughs) This is is a... A show trial? (laughs) Yes. I'm trying to make him speak under duress. Oh, buddy. I'm sorry. You want to go lay down in your chair? Go lay down in your chair. He's going to play with a bag instead, so maybe there'll be new fun noises. <laughs> okay. Today, we're peeking into the mailbag. Yeah, we got some listener questions gathered 
Christine did the gathering, so thank them. I did. <laughs> uh, that means if you didn't make the cut, you can blame them. Okay, whatever. We didn't have that many. <laughs> so okay. Most of our our uh, interactions are like, hey, do an episode on this, which is really cool because that means people want more content. So that's exciting. Yeah, we do need the ideas to keep rolling in because we I mean, we do pay attention to that we don't get to yours right away necessarily, but we're happy to have lots of different things to look into. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, if there's a big enough demand for something, I try to push it up in the schedule provided it's not something gigantic like, you know, North Korea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, Second Red Scare got a couple of requests uh, on social recently. So I think we should dip back to that. It's been a long time since we covered the first one. Yeah, that that's a, that's a good idea. That's what we call in our categorization of episodes a short history. So a little easier to tackle. <laughs> right. So that contrasts with like an entire country's history, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Uh, what's our what's the first one you want to get to? Yeah, so the first one is actually in response to a while back, we asked if people wanted to give organizing shout outs to whatever groups they're a part of, or just a group they know of that is doing good work out there. And this was from Shay, and uh, they sent us some info on the Australian Communist Party. Ah, okay. Yeah, so I poked around a little bit on their page. They're a Marxist-Leninist organization. Uh, They have a pretty interesting history page that makes me want to, like, do some episodes on Australia because I don't know anything about their history of communism, but they've got one. Um, they had a pretty robust labor movement. They would do like uh, solidarity strikes and stuff with like England. And yeah, it seems pretty cool. Okay. Yeah. That's, that should definitely go on the list of future episode, future research, Australian communist party. I had not ventured into that realm at all. Yeah. They've got some name changes as any good organization does in their history page. Uh, but this version of it came up i think uh i'm gonna say in 2019 so this is kind of a revamp oh okay are they still literally the same organization or is it like a reboot you know like a part two i'm not clear on like the recent history um but you said the you know at least their spiritual or literal predecessors go back a long time Yeah, yeah. Like their history page talks about like, you know, the original Communist Party there in like 1920. And um, they talk about like how they, you know, how to split totally because no one side was getting more um, reformist. And so one side is like, ah, fuck that. Uh, So they turned to the Socialist Party of Australia, which is kind of funny that the socialists went more (laughs) radical. They were the non-reformists. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But yeah, they got like lots of spots in uh, trade unions, like as leaders of that. Um, They worked on a lot of different issues, like Aboriginal issues. So yeah, it seems cool. Uh, They, in 1989, uh, the CPA voted to liquidate the party and establish the new left. So they're trying to do like a united front situation. Yeah. Uh, But that also disbanded (laughs) in 1991. uh, So kind of short lived. And so this is kind of like, this seems to be just a, a new organization that acknowledges this like socialist history in Australia. Yeah, that's cool. And uh, and so Shay said, give them a shout out. What sort of stuff are they doing uh, out in Australia? Yeah, so Shay also sent um, a website to their Community Union Defense League, which has lots of cool programs 
Uh, they run a can collection program to fundraise, um, which is pretty cool. Uh, so basically this program like calls on community members to donate their cans so they can use that to fund their other programs. Okay. Like recycling stuff, you mean? Like that type of can? Okay. Yeah, like their return and earn kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the other programs that they run with that fund, uh, it's the Freedom Van, which is uh, specifically a van to help people move out in cases of domestic violence. Um, they say that's like one of the biggest hurdles to leaving, especially if you're trying to move like a refrigerator or a washer and dryer and like, you know, big appliances like that. Yeah. Like, otherwise, you're starting from scratch, you know. So that's super cool. Like that's such a unique idea of like, hey, this is specifically for that situation. And that's something people can do. Like that's direct action. Like you and your friends yeah. could do that, you know. Yeah. Like, do you have a truck? Do you have a van? Like you could you could help with that. Do you have, you know, guys with tough guys strong boys yeah <laughs> you got the muscles yeah <laughs> i don't but you know i will spot you <laughs> and in that situation i mean to be there you know Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's true you know i'm actually now that i'm thinking about it my neighborhood uh so dallas has like a bulk trash day where we'll take all of your like hazardous materials basically like unused paint stuff like that and we're going to get rid of a lot of stuff that day. But like, even in our like neighborhood group, we were chatting like, hey, like if anyone has a big enough car, like we should try to carpool that because, you know, this is big stuff to carry. We should try to like do a convoy. So I don't know. I think that's a cool idea. Yeah. I also like the the free. Have you ever done stuff like that? Or like yeah, people do it on Facebook Marketplace, but there's like a buy, oh, the buy nothing groups, the buy nothing things too. Like that's yeah, kind of. I've heard people get some real gems out of that. Yeah. I mean, it's. You know, people don't call it that, and it's not really that because it doesn't emphasize the principles of, like, mutual aid. But it's like accidental mutual aid, you know? Yeah, no. I mean, like, I live in a really old neighborhood where, like, people traditionally know each other pretty well. And I'm, like, kind of bad at it just because I'm a very antisocial person. <laughs> so I'm trying to work on that this year. That's one of my goals is just to get to know the people in my neighborhood better. But, like, even in my short, like, time of living here in my, you know bad social skills i have still had really positive interactions of like one time someone was out of cat litter and they're like hey guys i'm really sorry can anyone just like lend me a couple of cups of cat litter and i was like yeah come on over i'll set some out on the porch like just stuff like that i know that sounds really small and twee and like let me borrow a cup of sugar but like just like starting somewhere i think can be valuable yeah yeah part of the project too is just to get people less afraid of each other and more interacting yes. with each other <laughs> Yeah, so we don't have people just blasting people away on their front porches. Yeah, even if you're not, like, a social person in the sense you like to go and talk to people and meet new people or whatever, it would be healthier for our society if we were more open or less, just less afraid is what I mean, you know, from from each other. And more, because we could see more in common with each other that would, you know make us more empathetic toward people when we see stories about the plight of workers and stuff like that. I don't know. I think it would be a big step. Yeah. Like we would learn that it's safe to rely on each other and like starting in these small ways and eventually into some big ways. Yeah. 
Um, another resource on this website, uh, the Community Union Defense League, they have lots of resources on uh, farm workers, like how to, you know, report an issue safely, information for visa holders, um, also information for different kinds of unions in Australia. So they have like truck drivers, retail, hospitality, and they, they offer a lot of services on, on how to, like, access those resources. Like they, they are like, hey, if you need help translating or something, let us know. So... That's really cool. That's cool. Yeah. That's some good work by the Australian Communist Party. So shout out to them. Great job, Australia. I promise we'll do some episodes on you. Send us what we should talk about. What's the coolest part about Australian communism? Yeah, because we got we to gotta dive into that at some point. Well, who's your main guy? Do you have a main guy? Yeah. Who's your Lenin? <laughs> who's your Marx? <laughs> who's your Che? It's like that meme every group, you know, every group of friends has, <laughs> but it's just like uh-huh. communist leaders. <laughs> That's great. Uh, I hope I'm, I don't know. I, I've been researching Colin Ty, so like she's top of mind for me. Yeah, we got to do a segment on that sometime. Your, your commie sun moon rising. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so what else do we have in the bag? All right, we've got an anonymous question this time, and I get it because it's kind of a heavy subject matter. All right, first, thank you, Shay, for the yes shout out idea. All right, the question: If we believe that capital punishment is immoral, how do we reconcile that with "kill your prisoners"? A catchphrase that I have used several <laughs> times in reference to the movie Snowpiercer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is believing that the death penalty should be excised from the carceral system inconsistent with the belief that revolutionary violence may be justified? If it is not, why make that distinction? Why is killing a czar different from killing a prisoner? Uh, I've got an answer. You want to go for it? Sure. Uh, a czar has power. All right. A czar has power. So killing a czar is, you're saying, kind of an equal fight? It's not even an equal, it's an uphill fight, I think. Yeah. What happens once you've taken power and then the czar is like arrested and you're in charge? I don't know. I mean, it depends if he wants to get froggy. If he wants to try to come at me, come at the throne. Not that I'm going to have a throne, but if he wants <laughs> to come at the committee, the central committee, then yeah, like I think... Like, we talk about this a lot. Like, capitalists aren't going to give up their power quietly and, and, you know, historically neither have czars or kings or whatever. That's just not a thing they know how to do. If if for some, by some miracle, revolution comes, all the capitalists are like, you know what, you're right, I was being a real jerk. Sorry. <laughs> Here are my factories. <laughs> Here are all my assets. I'm going to go get in line at the uh, work collective, you know, assignment line. And, uh solidarity <laughs> then i would be very happy it wasn't uh quite to that extent but the chinese emperor p Yi did like the last emperor there did mm. end up basically living just a regular life like the like the, that's fine <laughs> <laughs> the revolution you know they didn't kill him or anything they were just like we well, can't you you are no longer emperor you're just a bitch yeah. you know you're just a regular ass worker you know like us just a peon you know and he was like that's fine I mean, he probably didn't like it. Like, he probably would have preferred to be emperor. Oh, yeah, for sure. For but, sure. you know, he couldn't, so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, so your general breakdown is that it is justified if the person that you are fighting against is stronger than you? 
I guess I'm, I'm trying to differentiate between, like, in the moment of the struggle, like, I am currently in the revolution, I have gotten really buff, I guess, and I, I have, I'm not scared of guns anymore. And yeah, I'm blasting through people. Climate change can do a lot to change people, I guess. <laughs> but it gets so strong and brave. This is Mad Max, Christine. Oh, yeah, I'm shaving my head again. I'm, I'm going full in. So I guess if I'm in that scenario and I'm trying to take out some top guys, I would do it because I'm like, hey, I am in the process of seizing power. I need to do this because these guys also are going to kill me. Like that kind of situation. But I guess the distinction being like after the revolution, when, yeah, you, you know, you have insurgents, then I think you have to say, OK, like, how dangerous is this? Are they going to try again? Is there a way I can like reason with them in some way? But I mean, if they're already like trying to overthrow you, probably not. But if it's a guy who's like, hey, I used to work for, you know, the government or the, you know, giant corporation, but I'm I'm cool now, I promise. <laughs> then I think we can talk. That makes sense. I kind of break it down the same way, I guess. So one way to look at that, what you were saying of the difference between revolutionary violence, say, and the death penalty, right? Is uh, that in terms of revolutionary violence, you can look at it in terms of self-defense, right? You are trying to free yourself from exploitation and your society. And the capitalist state is willing to use violence to stop you from doing that. So... If you use force against them, you're to protect yourself. This is self-defense. You know, even if it's killing people to get the revolution, you know, to, to succeed at that. If the alternative is being killed. And then you can keep, you can say, well, well, but you started a re- violent revolution. So you're the <laughs> one who's attacking. But like. You did that out of duress. You, no one does this for fun. I would way rather not. If you go, <laughs> if you go back, who started the exploitation? My man, mm-hmm. we were sitting around having a good time and the capitalists show up and start exploiting well i mean before that the feudalists showed you know showed up and (laughs) slave societies showed up and so there's always some asshole coming up and oppressing people it's not the people's fault when they use violence against the violence that was inflicted on them first so even the revolution is self-defense yeah like remember we are all dangling above the threat of violence via starvation or you know, living out on the streets and struggling. Mm-hmm. Like we, we are all like someone is behind us 24 seven, just kind of cracking their knuckles and looking at us ominously. Yeah, exactly. So if that, if we then visit, we counter the threat of violence with some real violence to get away from it. This is, this is, I think justifiable now then comes, well, when does that change? You were saying, right. And I think it's kind of a, it, it's it's sort of a spectrum. So you can imagine a self-defense scenario where someone punches you. It's not really justifiable in the self-defense, you know, uh, justification to shoot them in return. That's that's yeah, not really not. proportional, right? Or this, you know, the proportional response, as they would say in the West Wing. <laughs> so in the revolution, I think in that phase, killing in self-defense is pretty proportional. I mean, the other guys are shooting at you, too. So then I think the transition is once we have the commune set up or the worker state or whatever we're doing. We've seized power in some way. Yeah. You you might not be doing a proportional response if you're executing uh, people that, you know, do various things, various crimes, various, you know, things to threaten society. 
there may be more options on the table at that point. And maybe the best way to defend your society is not to kill that person. Yeah, because it, it's a tricky balance of like, you have to determine, all right, like, can this person, you know, is this person trustworthy enough to not try to lead an insurgency against me? Like you want to guard against that. But like, you also don't want to kill anyone who was kind of associated with that regime or like, you're going to lose a lot of good faith. And also it's morally wrong. That and That's then you kind of come into the question of, of morality with it. I think so my measure of morality in this can really only be, is it the best means to achieve the end? And I can't get myself beyond that really. Like, is it going to hurt our cause? Is it going to help our cause? I think that that should be the communists morality toward, you know, tactics and stuff and, and, and what you resort to because it covers the situation. Cause someone could say, Oh, if you're doing that, that's just cold calculation and you're going to do bad things to get where you're at. And then you're going to corrupt the process. I think if it, if it truly will corrupt the process, then it wasn't the best means to choose. Yeah. Yeah. If, if let's say, you know, there's very little evidence to support this, this claim that they're somehow an insurgent and like, it's really murky, but like you get bad vibes, like you don't want to set that precedent for sure. That's a dangerous precedent. Like you do have to take that stuff into account. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's how I would look at it. Like uh, the self-defense angle, but also the means and ends angle. You know, the the end is trying to free people from oppression. So uh, we're going back to Snowpiercer example, right? Because the reason we cited that and said kill your prisoners is the party in Snowpiercer did not have the means of effectively keeping Mason prisoner. Uh, they tried to do that and she betrayed them. And they ended mm -hmm. up having to execute her anyway. Yeah. Like it was a waste of resources at that point. It was a waste of, it was dangerous to their cause. Yeah. Cause they were just like a little guerrilla band, you know, against the whole system. Uh, that, that was not actually an option. They tried to take it and you know, it messed them up. It would have been better to execute in that situation. This reminds me of a couple of things, both really inane. One, a tweet I saw. <laughs> was, you know, someone saying like, I'm really tired of the trope of, you know, if I, you know, kill the bad guy, I'm just as bad as them. And it's like, no, you are like, right. you're getting rid of the problem. <laughs> you are stopping them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, we have to get that out of our heads. Like, if you, you know, take over the capital system by becoming a capitalist, yeah, you are as bad as them. You, you did that. <laughs> like, <laughs> You become a, like, you also become a rival bad guy and take over a nearby, like, <laughs> nation and then go to war and defeat the bad guy. And that's, yeah, that yeah. would make you as bad as him. That would definitely. You start a capitalist army. Yeah, that's not, not a good look. <laughs> Another one. Okay. Uh, riddle me this, Batman. I watched a great Star Trek episode the other day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, any excuse I can get to talk about this fucking show without starting a fucking podcast because there's too many of them. No one needs another one. Okay. <laughs> the episode. Uh, Next Generation. It's called I Borg. And it's the one where they find the baby Borg. He's like he's like a teenager or a young, a young adult Teen man. Teen Borg. <laughs> His name is Hugh. They end up naming him. Do you remember this at all? I don't know if I got that far. It's season five, I think. Yeah, I don't um, think Which I think is probably the best season okay so they find this this borg right and mm -hmm. they the doctor she's like 
we have to be on board. He's dying. I'm a doctor. That's what we're going to do. And Picard, like, literally earlier that season, he was abducted by Borg. So he's like, oh, I fucking hate this. But okay. He allows it. So they get him on the, the ship and they start, like, trying to treat him and stuff. And they eventually start running some tests on him because they're they have a little meeting and they're like, hey, we might be able to use this Borg to insert a virus that will take out all of Borg. Ooh, and so okay. they're going to use him as like a genocidal weapon on mm-hmm. the Borg. Which I'm like, cool, the Borg fucking suck. Yeah. They are a destructive force. Yeah, let's not do that. Like, the Borg, that, that's their whole thing. There is no alternative. They're no. like, I'm going to fucking... Yeah. But the problem comes up where as this Borg is disconnected from the collective and starts like talking to the crew, like he becomes an individual, essentially, like he uses the word I, uh, which is a big deal for Borg. They usually only speak in the we. The, the oh, we. that's like that one book. We. It's like an anti-Soviet thing. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yevgeny. Classic Russian name. That is really classic. Yevgeny Zamyatin. We. And the whole, it's like the character never uses the, the word I is like forbidden to mm. like the end of the book. It reminded me of that plot point. No, yeah. I, I mean, I think people have tried to point to the Borg as a commentary on communism before. Certainly. I think we've dabbled in that a little bit at times when we were first starting it, you know? We considered it, and then someone wrote in and was like, maybe it's more capitalism. I don't know. I still don't know. Someone wrote in on, I think it was on the Podbean host site, and they were like, no, they're mm. fascists. They're totally, and they're, I was like, damn, that's a good explanation. Like, They are a literal hive minds. Like, they are, they treat each other like just parts of their body. Yeah. Super fast. Right. Yeah. Organs, we're all just cells in a body, and we all have a role, and, you know, the shoe goes on the foot, not on the mm. head. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah this this borg basically like learns like he becomes their friend kind of like <laughs> he he's really attached to Jordy, and so they all feel really bad about this plan they're like i don't think we can do this so yeah it becomes this interesting moral quandary of like well the borg are definitely evil but this one borg isn't and also i don't know if he's even a borg anymore he's like might be a recovering human so they decide not to send the virus with him. They just send him back in the hopes that his experience of individuality would be like interesting to the Borg, which I'm like, that's a bad idea, but okay. No. So the actual good idea here, if you ever find yourself in this situation against space fascists is uh, <laughs> you, you just got yourself your first recruit. Uh, now you need to ah. get, lead, have him lead away teams to kidnap Borg. More and Borg. Bring them into form a Borg, you know, commando squad a little guerrilla band of of reformed borgs and keep doing that i mean apparently they are reformable if you just bring them away so you can yeah. you can scale up your operations to like down borg ships and and like capture entire it's you can just be like federation pirates but against the borg <laughs> but for borg yeah yeah, because that was that was like their conflict too. Is that they knew the Borg would keep coming after them because all the Borg have like a tracking device, basically. Oh, um, and so he was like, "I'm putting the ship." Like he offered to go back to. He yeah, did. he's like, "I'm putting the ship in danger. I can't be here." Which I'm like, okay, couldn't okay. I know this is a big ask, but couldn't you be like, "Hey, uh, do you want to take this virus?" <laughs> <laughs> You, you recognize the morals, right? Like, you're starting to understand. I don't know. I well, mean, that's, that's a big true. fucking ask. 
That's true. You could you could just have him go in and be the bomb. Maybe. But you risk him saying no, and then he goes to the board, and they're like, well, now I know about your bomb plan. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, sorry, that was a really long Star Trek tangent, but... All that know. to say, killing the bad guy makes us as bad as him. I mean, the Borg are a bad example, because they're not individual. They're they're a distinctly evil force that, like, there's no redeeming unless you get them individually. Which I guess capitalists are, too. Yeah, I mean, one parallel could be, like we were saying with the fascist example, is that Nazi Germany was evil, but individual mm-hmm. Germans proved, you know, shortly after the war that they weren't all like that. You know, and so, uh, I mean, the Borg are more complicated because they're like, or I guess more simplified because they're just a hive mind. And so they, they are all mm-hmm. like that until you unplug them. <laughs> uh, but I mean, the unplugging of them could be the same as like destroying, their, you know, defeating their government without killing everyone, defeating their hive mind mechanism without killing all the Borg. Then yeah, you would be able yeah. to be like, OK, well, now we're going to, you know, start reforming people and stuff deborgify you guys uh versus if we were like okay we're gonna wipe out every last german (laughs) to stop them to stop them from doing a genocide but we're that would end (laughs) up being a pretty bad thing yeah (laughs) yeah that'd be really bad you can't do that i guess when we say kill your prisoners we mean specifically the Horrible capitalist ones, not the ones that are like probably in there on a minor crime and not being reformed or anything. There's no, you know, we've talked a lot about the carceral system. It's bad. We're not trying to kill those people, obviously. For sure. But I also think we're really not trying to kill the bad capitalists either. Like, I'd rather not. Like we just said, you know, (laughs) if they want to give up the emperor's throne and just live, then that's fine. If they resist and get killed in that resistance i think that's fine if they try to do a coup the next day okay but i think my thing is if they get killed in the heat that's one thing Mm -hmm. and then if we capture them that's maybe another and when we're saying kill your prisoners i think specifically that's when that's your best option when you're like too you know resource strapped to be able to do anything else right and so to go back to the czar example to flesh out the details of that that's 1918 so That's during the Russian Civil War, right after the revolution. So the Bolsheviks took power by that point. But they're fighting on all fronts. They were getting invaded by other countries. And meanwhile, they have the Tsar and his family held prisoner in Yekaterinburg. And at that time, there there was an army called the Czechoslovak Legion, which is a weird thing. Uh, They were like from... They were Czech and Slovak people, which Czechoslovakia wasn't a thing yet, that volunteered as like a foreign legion to fight for the Tsar during World War One. But then, you know, Russian Revolution happens and th- then they're just out there <laughs> and they're, they're like trying to get back. They're trying to leave. But they're kind of like vaguely pro-Tsar, you know, and so the Bolsheviks are very suspicious of them and they're fearful that these guys who are on their way out, but like are about to pass by where the czar is. Maybe they're going to try to like rescue the Romanov family. Mm. So that was one of the big things that they were worried about. There had already been talk in the leadership, you know, central committee sort of thing about what to do with the czar's family. Like Lenin apparently wanted to do like a trial, put them on trial, probably a show trial, but I mean, still 
put them on trial, have Trotsky be the prosecutor. Um, sounds kind of cool to be honest. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would tune into that television program. Yeah. <laughs> Basically when the situation changed and they were worried that they would not effectively be able to keep the czar prisoner, then maybe he'd break out. Then they were like, okay, well we got to execute them. Uh, historians differ on whether they think Lenin gave the order directly or not, but either way. So I think that's the context of where they did it. I think that it's possible they could have succeeded at moving the family again, keeping them prisoner until they're more stable and then just like put them on a dasha somewhere or exile him or something. They probably, I mean, they might could have, but then again, I'm asking them to, you know, to write, you know, I'm asking them from the future to take a very big <laughs> risk that where they don't know if it'll pan out that way. They're in the civil war. They don't know if they're going to win. Yeah, like that's such a high risk situation, such an unstable time that they're like, do I really want to fucking spend resources guarding these assholes? <laughs> like, I get it. I'm like, yeah, it sucks. Like they killed like the kids and shit. That, that's not cool. But like, I also get the anger, you know, like in, if you're in a hereditary system like like the czar and you're, you're like, you've got to have such deep anger towards that system you yeah. know i mean and the, you know and the kids were just going to be your future oppressors yeah like that that's probably how they saw them at that point yeah if everything had gone their way that's what it'd been yeah i don't know to be more general than those are example i think war makes everybody do bad shit means wise yeah. that really the only justification for it is achieving the ends of surviving you know your side surviving from the communist perspective, we do what we got to do in those revolutionary war times. You, you have to draw. Everyone has to have personal morals of what they're going to do and not going to do. I think the goal is to get out of that state so then you can have better options on the table and say, well, you know, what, what if we just send these people somewhere else? Or what yeah. if we like don't have big, a big prison system and we're trying to rehabilitate people who do commit crimes because we want to not have why do we have crime like what's the problem there what's going on in Can society we stop doing crime please yeah why yeah. What, where have we fucked up you know exactly that should be the question so hopefully that comes close to answering the question of the difference <laughs> we, we took a long walk on that one but that's okay <laughs> what's well, a complex one i think it's a lot of nuance it is. and you have to be okay with there being it's a spectrum yeah a spectrum shades of gray Judgment calls. I mean, I don't think it's easy to, well, I think it really is easy to look back and say, you should have done this. I think in the moment, it's it's not. Okay. Thanks for sending that in, Anon. Yeah. Thank you. Next, we have a note from Riley. Uh, quick, I guess, time travel note. This was sent uh, April 20th. So uh, this news update is a couple months old. So maybe we can check in where they are now. Wow. It's like a few months old. It's plenty months old. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm not caught up to the 2023 episodes yet. So perhaps you already mentioned this, but the Public Service Alliance of Canada is a union that represents over 155,000 federal workers. And we just entered a general strike uh, as of April 20th. This is the largest strike Canada has ever seen, and I was wondering if maybe you guys could cover some of the labor movement history of Canada in a future episode. Definitely. Canada is another country we have not touched. We should probably get on that. <laughs> so, Canadians, tell us who your heroes are. Uh, i tell you right now, Tommy Douglas. 
hero. Tommy Douglas. Okay. Uh, he was the first leader of a socialist government in North America uh, by being the premier of Saskatchewan. That's mm. like uh, one of their provinces, you know. That's a rural one, yeah? Yeah, it's right by Alberta. What is it in between? It's in between Alberta and Manitoba. So if you're starting at the at the left, bottom left mm-hmm. corner of, uh, okay, geography. Uh, West. Southwest <laughs> corner. I like bottom left, of, though. Of Canada. It's, you know, that's British Columbia. Then you go one over mm-hmm. to the east, that's Alberta. And then one more is Saskatchewan. Okay, okay. It's the Midwest of Canada. It's kind of rural, it looks like. But yeah, that was it's it's a cool history that we do have to go into at some point because uh, I was looking at it a little bit, and you would be surprised. The American stereotype of Canadians is what? Just nice, very nice. nice. They say sorry, right? <laughs> uh-huh. Uh huh. They have had a hell of a labor history, uh, tons of of strikes, uh, of of violence. Uh, they they are not pushovers in that respect. They're not afraid to get a little dirty. Yeah. So we can totally go into that. Um, it, it needs its own episode, to be honest. But really, totally. going back at, going back to the uh, 1870s, they've had a long history of labor, labor struggles. Uh, some of the highlights, the, one of the most famous was the Winnipeg General Strike. Uh, they also had the Vancouver General Strike, the first general strike in their history. I want to go to Vancouver. Yeah, that'd be cool. I've only been to Canada once. I went to, uh, what's it called? Victoria? Is that right? That's right next to Vancouver. I always get them mixed up because they both start with V and they're on the West Coast. Uh. Uh, It's beautiful. Holy cow. It's probably one of my best vacations. Um, Real quick, I did Google Tommy Douglas, but I accidentally typed Tommy Douglas, which would be his DJ name. So, take <laughs> Yeah. The <laughs> uh, reason I said that, like, you know, who some of you here is, I know he's a labor hero, but I think that Canadians generally regard him as, like, a dope-ass guy, like, regardless. Yeah, yeah. But they, they had a party for a long time called the Cooperative Commonwealth Federation, uh, which was openly, like, socialist when it started. And Tommy Douglas is one of the, you know, one of the party guys in that and gets elected at the Saskatchewan level and like uh, governor of that basically premier of that province and he's the guy that invented like Medicare in Canada they call it Medicare too for Saskatchewan to start with and then I mean that was so popular that like not a socialist implemented that Canada wide Um, I think he was a liberal or something but yeah that was that that was like damn that's super cool but he, he like did the test province for it yeah, like, uh, yeah, Tommy yeah, Douglas established cool. it first. Um, so, th- yeah, there's a long history of all that shit. And I was like, damn, that's uh, too much to go into in a Q&A, but a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. Uh, was there any update on this particular uh, union strike, the PSAC? Uh, yeah, so they did reach a tentative agreement. Uh, yeah, no, so it looks like this was successful in winning concessions or they, you know, they ended up calling off the strike and uh, reaching a deal. It's kind of like a multi-part thing. So part of the, the public service Alliance of Canada represented uh, all these different federal workers. And some of them, like they reached a deal with some of them first, but the, the, the revenue agency workers were still out. 
uh, but they eventually reached a deal with them too. Yeah, so the union says it's an improvement over what the employers were initially offering. Uh, it secures a total wage increase of 12.6% over four years. Um, previously, they were only offered 9% over three years. And then they called a strike, and then the employers are like, okay, okay, fine. You said it was sent in when? Uh, April 20th? Yeah. Published May 1st. Okay, so May 1st. So it didn't take them long. Uh uh, May 1st or May 2nd. I can't tell because it's in one of those updated articles. It doesn't really say mm. this date or this date, but beginning of May, they caught, you know, they, they reached the deal. So it didn't take them long to, to make them buckle under and give in uh, more pay. The deal includes a one-off payment of 2,500 Canadian dollars or 1845 U.S. dollars. It doesn't say to who. I guess that's to each worker. I mean. Yeah, I was like, that doesn't seem like much. The that's union gotta be would, like per person. <laughs> right. <laughs> Everyone gets one cent. Right. <laughs> uh, a tenth of a cent, probably. Yeah. Uh, the deal fell short of getting work from home enshrined into the collective bargaining agreement. Damn it. Now, many federal employees say they work better from home and do not want to return to the office. Well, duh. Hell yeah. So... Maybe there's, it's, it's also like sort of a little bit temporary. Um, it's not going to last, I think much more than a year, but it does set a good tone. I think of it, you want your unions willing to strike and to actually go and do it, you know, and, yeah. and your employers to know that you're going to actually do that when you say, cause that's, totally. yeah. that's when they actually negotiate, you know, otherwise they pull all these bullshit tactics of, Oh, you know, <laughs> We can't actually, we don't even have any information for you right now. We're all this installing and stuff just because they think that you're going to roll over, right? You have to, yeah. you have to be willing to. Yeah, that is your bargaining chip. And it's a big one. Don't let them tell you it's not. Yeah. So, so congrats. Yes. Well done, Canada. And your labor union, y'all did well. The, hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll see these strike call out sooner rather than later. In the future. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> my B. Sometimes I screenshot things and they leave my mind completely. I'm just like, well, I documented it, so it's done. <laughs> I don't follow up at all. <laughs> uh, that almost happened with this next uh, message, which I just added to our doc. <laughs> uh, this was a correction, which we love corrections around here. Ooh, okay. Um, and this is from a, a UPS worker who messaged me on Instagram. And uh, they're talking about how um, UPS hasn't just tried to do two-tier systems. We mentioned that in our coverage of uh, their recent strike, referencing, you know, tiering between part-time and full-time. So apparently they have been doing two-tier systems since 1982. Prior to that, full-time and part-time had the same average pay rate of $12 an hour, which is equal to $40 an hour today, which, wow. But, you know, neoliberalism is kind of taken that away and so the tentative contract as it stands would make the majority of current part-timers about 108,000 employees wait until 2027 to get paid $25 an hour and new hires in 2027 would still only start at $23 an hour this listener is in Wichita uh, Kansas which is you know a fairly cheap place to live given the size about on par with uh, Oklahoma City which I'm familiar with so that reference definitely helped <laughs> and uh, a four-year wait for $25 is already disappointing to me for anyone else living in the thousands of more expensive cities I'm sure it's devastating also the warehouses do not have AC 
unless you count the little on-site office rooms that management stays in all day, plus mm. maybe the bathrooms or break rooms if you're at a newer building. Um, and the package truck AC rules are being grandfathered in. Oh, I hate grandfathered clauses. Meaning between now and 2024, UPS is buying all the trucks they can so they won't be required to put AC in those. Whoa, that's nasty. Most drivers won't actually get AC until 10 or 20 years from now because once a truck is in circulation, UPS would rather force the mechanics to keep them running on string and duct tape than replace a vehicle before it's 100% dead. Wow. Okay, that is really helpful context. Um, thank you for sending that in. Yeah, so what? Uh, who is this? Uh, they didn't have a name. Their name on Instagram is just Tired, which, you know, big relate. All right, Tired, yeah. So is there... They're expressing more... I guess dissatisfaction with the contract, yeah. Yeah. Did they say that they should vote to reject? So they do mention, this was last Thursday uh, as a recording time, so when the last episode came out, and I think that's when we talked about this strike. As of that time, it still had to be put to a rank-and-file vote, which goes on through the 22nd of August. And this person claims that even though like union leadership is calling this a historic contract, it really isn't. They also recommend the Valley Labor Report. They've done some coverage on it, and they also have Teamster members calling into that to explain some of the problems. Okay, I need to give a couple lists to them because I, I do check them out from time to time. They're great on union stuff. I've heard that. Um, so yeah, basically, <laughs> check them out if you want to know more about the situation. But yeah, even just like this kind of report from from the front lines here is really interesting. So the voting's still ongoing on that. We'll see what happens. It's interesting that there's that divide. I think that happens more frequently than people realize. Try to keep more updated on that. I mean, we'll have uh, shit to shoot next week. So if anything, if we have more developments, we can kind of talk about those too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But thank you for kind of the additional context here. Yeah, true. Because, you know, like you said, a correction. We don't want to be out there just saying... Oh, look, the news said it was a big deal. Oh. <laughs> this, they said it was good, so I'm going to say it's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's nuance. Especially, like, all the underhanded shit of, like, the trucks. and the God, the trucks thing. That blew my fucking mind. Now, the warehouse is just not thinking it through because we don't understand the logistics of it. Of, like, oh, yeah, well, that isn't... Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that should be fairly common sense, honestly. But um, we're not in the industry or didn't think about it enough <laughs> <laughs> yeah the the grandfathering the trucks in that's bonkers yeah so they're just like out there buying trucks like crazy like come on <laughs> we don't have to put ac in these oh my god that's nuts literal death traps for real it's a metal oven you're just driving around in so yeah still fuck ups Mm-hmm. i mean i think we were saying that already but <laughs> yeah continue to fuck them um, I don't know if, if you feel like you need to fight for more, maybe fight for more. That, that sounds rough. Yeah. I mean that, that process, the ratification of it or whatever is in there for a reason. So yeah. you can tell leadership to fuck off whenever they get too cozy with the bosses. How do you prevent that? Do you make that like a rotational kind of position? You have to, you know, no, it's not a rotation. You, you have to have strong democracy within your, within your labor union. So you have to have. Uh, I mean, you have to have kind of a militant tendency in there. I mean, you have to have radicals. It's really easy, I think, for unions to get businessy. That's what I, yeah. Uh, for it to get to to be where you have 
you know. They just become mini boss. Well, yeah, you have a professional core of negotiators and stuff that they're never on the job. They're never doing anything like that. They, this is what they do. And they, you know, management comes to see them and they come to see themselves as this gear that smooths things between mm-hmm. management and and they, they're the more workers. focused on finding a compromise than being on your side specifically. Yeah. And so to maintain that democracy, you really have to have people like on the shop floor and military. I mean, like being staunch defenders of, of the workers contract to the point where they're willing to provoke conflict when, when it's a choice, when it's a choice of like, you know, we could let this slide or no, you know, you have to, there's this great, uh, the Trillbillies had this guy on. He was super cool. This old union guy. Uh, and he was talking about all these examples of, you know, the old school unions and stuff walking off the job and things like that back in like the seventies and stuff. Guy's name was John Melrod. Put out a book called Fighting Times. And yeah, so that's what, I mean, that's what I think is what he made clear kind of is, uh, the essentially one of his points was the only way you can you know keep these rights and keep that like radical streak of being able to you know tell your boss fuck you I'm walking off the job and you're not going to yeah, fire me yeah. because this is in the contract and I didn't get a break and the the only way you can do that is by having you know your shop stewards and stuff your 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 people that you elected to be your leaders and stuff actually stand up for you right if they're working to just kind of smooth things over with the company that's not what you're going to get you know and you, you you won't be you won't feel protected by your union if it's like that yeah yeah that makes sense but yeah thanks tired for calling that to our attention yes thank you so much and thanks for listening this next one is from ethan ethan asks what our thoughts are on uh the situation surrounding drag in america and the treatment of queer individuals in america says that uh, conservatives in America say they're the party of small government, yet want to place restrictions on how people can express themselves. Yep. Uh, they say that drag is too sexual for children to witness, very clearly not knowing anything about the art form of drag. And they say that it grooms children, yet at the same time, they're okay with children literally being sexualized and competing in beauty pageants and being on shows like Toddlers and Tiaras. Between their vitriolic hate towards LGBTQIA plus individuals and uh, BIPOC people and them trying to do other things such as ban books in schools and dictate what teachers can talk about in the classroom. I feel as though we're falling dangerously close to fascism. Yup. Uh, <laughs> we might just like be dipping a toe in it. And this listener knows uh, people in their own family who see nothing wrong with it. And, uh, you know, it, it hurts to think that they would side with people who target people like me and my friends and our rights. So, yeah, Ethan, I feel you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I really feel you on this one. It's fucking rough out there. I was I was talking to someone from Germany the other day, and, um, you know, they're kind of asking, like, what is it like to live in Texas? And I was like, it's very hard. <laughs> it is my home, and I love it, and I also am terrified of it. So, yeah, it's not great. <laughs> yeah, I don't really love it that much i mean it's got good mexican food (laughs) i don't know i i don't so much love i mean the physical place as much as i do like i guess my community here so that's really what it comes down to yeah yeah uh as far as drag specifically like i mean full disclosure i'm not like 
I'm not in the know on drag. Like, let me just say, I did not watch RuPaul's Drag Race. I'm not, I'm not in, in the scene. <laughs> I'm like the one gay that doesn't do that. Uh, Damn, I was counting you know. on you. I, have, I was going to say, I have no <laughs> idea about drag, to be honest. My best friend is super into it. So I know some by association. Um, it's, it's just not my thing. Like, I get that people love it. I recognize the artistry behind it, mm-hmm. for sure. But it's just like has never been like, oh, I definitely want to watch that. I know about it. <laughs> I've seen like a drag mm, show or festival or something. I don't know. They had like it was in like a kind of public square type of thing in Pittsburgh. Like they had like oh, these cool. markets and stuff. And they were there and yeah, they just they were having one over there. They had a little stage and people. I don't, I don't know. I didn't really. We were doing other things, but we were like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> Yeah, I went to a drag comedy show one time. It was very funny, uh, except half of the jokes were about like that season of Drag Race. So I was like, I don't know those jokes, but the other jokes were good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, like I, at the end of the day, like these are all like, and, and I think Ethan is is right to point out these other areas that are being cracked down upon, like you know, education and book bans and trans rights and yeah, they're all connected. Like they we're trying to be pushed into conformity like that that is fascism you're you're right to call it that because that's what it is yeah it's a fascistic tendency for sure to develop an other group and target them you know like you were pointing out you know the hypocritical elements that's honestly a feature not a bug is it's it's fine for us (laughs) because we're the in group and it's bad but for them because they're not, you know? Yeah, I, I struggle with that. Like, I, I think for a while, like, liberal Twitter got really into, like, pointing out hypocrisy of, like, oh, I gotcha. And I'm like, that doesn't work anymore. Like, they, they have no shame, for one. Oh. They don't fucking care. We should be as hypocritical. like. Yeah, like, fuck it. You know, it, it just, it doesn't help at this point, I think. I mean, I'm not coming down on you uh listener but no, um, no that's not, what I mean. <laughs> not at all i guess what i'm saying is that like i am frustrated by it but there's not a lot i can do about about that aspect of it of like yeah like it's fucked up they have a completely different set of standards uh for themselves like you know there's a myriad of stories of of conservatives uh you know who get found out they have grinder profiles and um you know who are sexually abusing minors and like uh not that having a grinder profile is horrible sorry that's not like the same thing but what i'm saying is no, they are hypocritical but the hip- hypocrisy of of doing the horrible thing of going after people for being who they are and then mm-hmm. hiding that about themselves on the other side or like he was saying here saying oh these you know drag people or teachers or whoever else are groomers but then they're they're the you know they're doing grooming they're literal groomers. Yeah, you know, there's no problem with the amount of violence we show in movies, but, like, we can't have drag, you know? Like, come on. Like, what are we doing here? <laughs> you know, like, why? what standards are we teaching our kids? So I think we both honed in on this being an element of fascism, of the in-group, out-group thing, but also the aggrieved nature of it. So one of the things that we see in the expression of the anti-drag, anti-queer, anti 
anything dissent, anti, you know, education, all these different strains of it is a sense of weakness. Uh, conservatives kind of characterize themselves as victims or the fascists yeah. in this case, are characterizing themselves in a classic fascist way of being a victim of some conspiratorial other that's trying to uh, degrade society. This is like textbook fascism, you know, fascistic sort of thing of this insidious, this dark cabal is trying to tear apart our beautiful society you know, they're working in the shadows. They're also somehow inferior to us, but also pulling this off. I mean, this is exactly what uh, the Nazis were saying, right, about the Jews. Yep. As they were saying, they're, they're trying to, you know, degenerate uh, Aryan society or whatever. There's very clear parallels there. And what the left, I think, has to be careful of uh, is that it is that we've been thrown into this category before by like not either by not dealing with it or I don't know. We've been swept up in this too. I don't know. The the left has not always stood on the right side of it. And the left has certainly not always, even if they've tried to stand on the right side of it, succeeded at like making it through (laughs) and and stopping the fascists. No, there's a concerning uh, segment. I, I hope it is small uh, of the left that, you know, kind of more of the tanky element, no offense to any tankies out there, um, unless this is you, then full offense, um, who kind of fall into that kind of Stalinist view of like, oh, it's very, you know, it's a bourgeois thing to to be trans or something, yeah. or calling that some sort of, uh, you know, perversion or whatever it is. There's historical context for that. And it's, it's shitty. We shouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah. I think nowadays, that's more of an online... You know, I learned my communism from Valsh or whatever that guy's name is. Like mm. those type of people, I think, are more the edgy teenagers doing that. But it probably exists out there in real, quote unquote, you know, want to be <laughs> communist, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, they're a lesser form of that or is the type of people who who say, well, this isn't as important, you know, as the class as reductionists. The class Yes. To use yes. Our, we got to use our vocab terms here. Class reductionism. <laughs> Not good. Not good. No. You can be intersectional and a communist at the same time. In fact, I would say you must be to be in my club. You've got to, <laughs> right? While there's a soul in prison, you're not free. You're not doing communism right. You're not analyzing the material situation because, let me tell you, there's material things at play here. You know, trans people, like, have trouble holding down jobs, um, they have trouble traveling. They have trouble moving. They have trouble in almost every aspect of their lives because they are trans. Just the pure psychic energy on it, but also like the material things like trans people are more likely to be homeless or to be fucking attacked. Um, there's real stakes. Yeah. And, you know, why, why are they on that in that same? I guess what I'm trying to say is they are in the same boat as any person on the left who's not in the queer community is that they are enemies of capitalism. Ideologically, perhaps a few of them do not see themselves in that way. I have 
met a lot of trans communists. <laughs> Let me just say that. <laughs> I, think, I think most of us are on the, the correct yeah. side here. I was just saying it cannot be 100%, <laughs> and I'm sure capital will be willing to, you know, take whoever would would <laughs> agree to side with them. That's, yeah, okay. Yeah, but yeah. Generally, by and large, the oppressed of capitalism are going to be on your, you know, should be on the same side. I mean, like, we should see within our different communities that there's a bigger bad guy that separates, you know, that, that unites us than all the little differences that separate us. Yeah, I mean, go back and listen to our, our queer theory episode. Like, when you're dealing with you know, deconstructing and reconstructing gender like that, you're gonna make people mad, uh, especially conservatives and especially capitalists, because they and and you see this a bit with, you know, rainbow capitalism, like they, when they can, they'll co opt the movement so they can make money out of it. They'll be like, Yeah, sure, I can sell things with rainbows on it and like charge twice as much <laughs> and like open a new market. Absolutely. I'm gonna do that. Yeah. But they're not going to be there for you in a in a real helpful way. They're just going to try to make money off of you. So, and, and I don't know. I think as a trans person, like, this has been a really, a really weird time because, like, there was that really weird, like, LGB movement without the T. Have you heard about that, basically? Wait, how did they form an alliance? I thought that they used to, like, that they used to, like, <laughs> trash the buys. Oh, they still do that. They're oh, it's you know, it's like a strange bedfellows it's a, thing. It's a nominal B. They don't actually care about the buys. They're just letting them be in so they can keep the T's out. Got it. Yeah. So there was there's this kind of there's a, a wing of of uh, I'm not even going to say the queer community because these are the kind of people that get mad if you say queer because they're like it's a slur and I'm like are you kidding me? Can I tell you how many times I've been called gay in middle school? Yeah, <laughs> that was the slur. Basically, there there is this conservative wing of of gays uh, who, you know, you know the old uh, story about the the guy who sees the the jaguar eating someone and is like, well, surely he's not going to come for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, you know, they're the ones siding with the the conquerors here, um, and they're they're trying to cut out trans people from the gay movement. Um, a lot of this, honestly, from what I have read, is also just like straight women doing this too. Like, the, like a lot of like the major voices of this are just like straight cis women. So I don't know what the fuck they're doing there. Why are they? Did they get lost? It's like turfs. It's turfs. Okay, but turfs. But why are turfs with the? They don't like other people. They, in they're this. okay with gays. Okay, supposedly, but they're not. Here's the thing. They're fucking not. So here's what happened. Huh. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of things that happen, but this, this latest development is ridiculous. All right, spill the tea. So, TERFs, uh, trans-exclusionary radical feminists, basically jerks. Um. <laughs> They're like obsessed with being a biological woman, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, quick things to watch out for, which I had to learn the hard way. Uh, they'll use like purple and I think purple and green hearts a lot. Man. Purple, white, and green, which are the non-binary colors, which is just insulting. How do they get to have like a cool color code? I mean, they're they're just assholes, right? They don't have a I know a claim to fame. Like they don't have like a particular uh, what I mean. I don't mean like they don't have a particular preference or a particular identity. Like they, don't, you know, <laughs> no, no, they don't even they're just like, mean to certain yeah. groups. <laughs> No, they and like that's the uh, it's not Don, but it's the I think it's the gender queer colors too, which is just so rude. Oh, like, they just stole someone color else's color. They just stole mine. Oh. Yeah, yeah. 
which I prefer. The non-binary colors aren't that great. They're like yellow, white, purple, and black, which I'm just like, oh, it's hard to make work. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Do you think there is anyone in the community who is, this would be me if I were in there. It's like, I would just <laughs> pick my orientation based on which has the best. Based on the best colors. Yeah. Be like, I guess I'm ace or whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> I get it. I, I mean, pans, I get it. You guys have like kind of the best colors. So. <laughs> What a pan jealous, But I'm still by. Pan colors is is yellow, pink, and cyan. It's like a CMYK, but without the K. Okay. It's really cute. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Watch out for TERFs. They're bad. But what they ended up doing is, so, like, TERFs basically were, like, you know, hating on trans people, making these ridiculous arguments. I saw one the other day that was, like, we need to make sure there's no trans people in women's bathrooms because... What if someone's on their period and they have to wash their pants in the sink and like use the dryer? And I'm like, are you saying you're going to go butt ass naked and wash your clothes in the bathroom in the sink? Like, listen, guys, I've had a lot of periods. I've worked with a lot of people who have periods. I have never seen someone butt ass naked washing their underwear in the sink. <laughs> you just like nod to them. <laughs> oh, yeah. It happens all it's the time. One of those days, huh? <laughs> <laughs> like you go home if that happens. Like anything but that. Well, it seemed it seemed like a possibility to me when you first described it. Like, oh, I guess so. <laughs> I'm telling you, I've never seen this. I've never heard of anyone doing this. Like, everyone on Twitter was like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" Like, I'm just picturing someone like. We, we do have that uh, one listener up. that's like right now, like, "What guys? I do that all the time. Every time that happens, <laughs> it, it happens every time. That happens every time. See a doctor. <laughs> get get better materials." in play like you might have an issue if you're bleeding that fucking much <laughs> that happens every month so yeah that was like one of their latest like stupid fucking arguments and so yeah basically there are these people who are you know terrorizing trans people online and in real life and and you know in the uk in particular they have a really strong movement where they're you know there are pictures of them teaming up with like pride organizations and literally physically cutting out the trans progress part of the flag and posting pictures of it like they're despicable. Wow. But here's the thing. One of like the leaders of this movement, um, you know, she's out there saying, oh, I'm just doing this because I'm trying to protect lesbians because they shouldn't have to be obligated to sleep with, with trans women and all this bullshit, right? This woman starts praising this new ordinance or this new law in Italy that's trying to get uh, non-biological parents taken off of birth certificates which impacts lesbians. Oh, like if a lesbian couple adopts a kid or however they have a kid. Um, this is in the Italian city of Padua. Is that how you say that? They started erasing lesbian mothers' first and last names from their children's birth certificates. So because Italy doesn't recognize same-sex marriage and considers surrogacy illegal, same-sex couples have to resort to civil lawsuits to legally become parents. Uh, that was in June of this year. So as of July, 27 mothers have been re removed from 27 birth certificates. Men and same-sex couples must choose one of the two to be the legal father. You know, if you're not that guy, if you're not the legal father, you can't, you know, pick your kid up from school. You can't use public services on their behalf. You can't, you know, take them to the doctor. Mm -hmm. Like, they're coming after the gays now. They said, oh, this is just about trans people. I'm going to cut them out of my flag. Uh, you know, I'm just trying to protect lesbians. I'm just trying to protect gays. Whatever. No, they're fucking not. Like, they're coming for you, too. And that's the thing when you allow different groups to be picked off like that. You know, it's, you see old adage of first it came. Oh, yeah. You know? I wasn't, yeah, that that wasn't me until, oh, that's me. Ooh, Remy just 
yelled. Hey, Ram. I don't know why. He's trying to. He's trying to uh, redeem himself. Uh, come back to the party line <laughs> after yeah. making a liberal deviation earlier. Mm-hmm. He reacted as if like something bit him or something. I wonder if he's fighting a bug. <laughs> Good job, Remy. Kill your prisoners. But only if that's the best option on the table. If it's a capitalist bug, which, I don't know, bugs are supposed to be good, I guess. Anyway, so yeah, the point is, like, this was a leader of this, like, movement of, of you know, trying to excise trans people from pride. And then she turns around and fucking betrays them. Like, she's a vocal supporter of this. For supporting the Italy law thing. For supporting this Italy law, mm, yeah. Okay. So maybe not materially supporting, but, like, still being in favor of it. Yeah. She's... One of those people who reduces everything to biology. And guess what happens when you do that? Bad things, you know? Like they break eugenics. out the calipers and they start saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's a scary fucking time. As far, I mean, uh, in this, this message, I kind of paraphrased some of it. There was a mention of, like, feeling like I can't do anything about it and, like, I get you. I think one thing you can do is make yourself a safe place. And make yourself a safe place materially if you have that option. Like, it's my goal in my life to be known as the person you can come to if you have an issue. If, you know, somebody kicks you out. If, you know, you are just going through a rough time and you need someone to talk to for a while. Like, make make those support systems and be a part of those support systems. Like, it's so valuable. I know I have had to rely on my support system a lot. And it it is... It's really tough out there when you feel like the world is kind of against you. And sometimes it is. But it's not always. There's not everyone. It is always in the you sense that the capitalist class is always against you. They're, they're, <laughs> Those guys, yes. They're always threatening you with death and starvation and homelessness uh-huh. and everything else. Uh-huh. <laughs> and fascism makes that easier for them. It gives them... It gets everybody placed in these little boxes that they know exactly who they are and what they can sell them. Yeah, in capitalism, the guns are... Homelessness and starvation, deprivation, and and fascism. The guns are guns. And they just the guns are just they guns. just show up with guns and they say <laughs> you're doing this now uh-huh. or goodbye. Is they don't do they wouldn't have that part at the top of the episode or closer to the top where we were like, but what about the morals? If they don't should have we that. Should kill people? They'd be like, absolutely. <laughs> they they like should we not kill this guy? Yeah. What would oh no? Why would we not kill? Oh yeah, you're right. And. I don't know. The part about dealing with people who are basically siding, you know, with this and even people, you know, in your life, uh, it's hard. I mean, that is, you, you, you don't, you don't really know what to do with people other than to, I mean, you, you have to draw boundaries and stuff for yourself, you, do. you know, and, and say, how willing am I to engage in this at all? What, yeah. what do I get from this? What? Do, how? How much good do I think I can do in this situation for this person? Yeah, like how much hope is there? <laughs> you know, like being kind of honest about like where that person is coming from and how like staunch they are in their beliefs. Like, you know, if you're talking to just someone that's not going to be able to be reached, it might not might not be worth the time. If, however, like I've had lots of encounters with people where like I might be the first trans person they've met, and they just don't know. They just like genuinely are coming into the conversation with bad information because that's what like the media feeds them. And I have to be like, all right, hold on. Like just ask me your stupid questions and I'll answer them. Yeah. 
and I'm willing to do that because like I'm in a pretty safe situation, but like feel that out. Like, am I materially dependent on this person? Yeah. Maybe, maybe don't star shit, but <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, you young listeners out there, you got to do what you got to do to mm-hmm. get by till you're an adult, you know, and then you have a little bit more leeway at that point. You don't have somebody who can be a tyrant over you because as loving as they may be, your parents are still kind of your tyrants for a big chapter of your life. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully they're very benevolent tyrants. Right. They may have the best of intentions. They might not, but uh, either way, they're in Yeah, charge. I know very few wholly democratic family systems out there. <laughs> yeah. So keep that in mind, of course. Did I tell you about that reality show that was about different parenting styles? Uh, no, I don't think so. Oh, well, I've only ever seen this uh, either on silent at like a bar or like half paying attention to it in my hotel room. But there's a show it's called The Parent Test and they like test 12 families like in different situations like, you know, solve this corn maze or whatever. <laughs> and they all have like different like parenting styles like this one's free range and this I'm like, I don't know what the fuck that means, but I guess they eat a lot of corn. They're not swapping people from families are just testing no. out the families against each other yeah so they do these tests and like they film it and everything and then they they come back to this really weirdly laid out room and they just like talk about it and like it it's kind of fun in like a messy way because all the parents think their method is best and they have like moderators but like a lot of times it's just like i don't know why you did that like <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah sorry that's just a tangent i i think that's fascinating <laughs> people are weird as far as uh kind of the the sexuality argument of like oh we're just trying to protect children and things like that like there's already a lot of sexuality out there i don't think we are we are banning those types of sexuality um we are only banning the ones that you know the larger culture says you about so you know like yeah. kids have have seen things and also it's okay sometimes like Kids know that sex exists. They probably know it pretty early. And they're socialized <laughs> to it in a heterosexual capacity. I mean, like, people will... Mm-hmm. It's appropriate. In mainstream society, it's appropriate to be like, oh, you have a girlfriend yet? To, like, a mm-hmm. little kid in elementary school. Like, or, oh, she likes you. Like, that. that's, that's common sense. That's considered normal. normal. Yeah, and that's fine, and that's not bad. But, you know, if you were to say the same thing, <laughs> you got a boyfriend, then people would be like, whoa, like, <laughs> Hey, are you gay? Yeah, like, <laughs> that's inappropriate. I'm probably going to ask my child every day, are you gay yet? <laughs> <laughs> Do I need to have another one right now? <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, yeah, like, we live in a in a sexual culture, and, like, because that's going to happen. that's how we procreate. That's just, like, we're, cre- we're that sort yeah, of creature. It's, it's a, normal. kind of a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, a really big aspect of the human experience. You're never going to shield a child from all ideas about sex and if you do i think that's gonna be a pretty fucked up kid yeah or you know at least very different i mean maybe they do enjoy maybe that it, it, path, if, yeah if that happens to be an asexual kid and they're like fuck yeah this is great <laughs> at the best childhood <laughs> i love it no one bothered me about that shit <laughs> uh, but i mean like there there's plenty of studies that you know when you look at a more comprehensive sex ed that includes like hey you're probably gonna have sex kind of stuff that results in like kids like delaying having sex for the first time. That results in like safer sex. Yeah. It results in way fewer you pregnancies. Just have a like healthier outcome. Yeah, better outcomes for people. <laughs> yeah, you're just like better. <laughs> 
Anyway, I get it. It's tough out there. Keep yourself safe. Keep yourself sane. Uh, support your friends, man. Yeah. It's rough. And one thing that we like to tell people in terms of ways to feel better. And to me, my touch point is always in salt of the earth. When Esperanza comes back from the picket lines back oh. home. And she is so happy. She is. And she's been like, not from just taking the day off from relaxing. That can make you happy too. But from a joyous struggle, from being, having comrades and, and being with, you know, people like her in the struggle and fighting back against it and realizing the power that you have in those groups. Yeah, I'm not saying you have to take to the streets immediately, but like finding a like-minded community, finding people like you in your situation and starting in some ways or another to, even if it's, I mean... We say, oh, even if it's as small as like a little book club thing, but hell, that's where Lennon started, you know? Right? They had to just start somewhere. They had their secret meetings. You can just make them more secret for fun. And I think, yeah, just that psychological, social connection with people and with, with knowing you're not alone is, is such a big part of it. Well, okay, I'm throwing another surprise uh, question. Mm. Well, this is more of a comment on, on the list. We just got this email, like, during recording time. Hot off the press. Cutting in line. Who we got? Katie. This is a really, really nice email. You should definitely log into our Gmail and read it. Um, not you, listener. I'm talking to Grady. Don't, <laughs> please don't hack us. Our password is. <laughs> <laughs> She's about to start college um, in a few weeks. And she was saying how, like, she found our podcast in 2021 and like used our episode on Huey long before like an oral final exam and like answered a question about it. Uh, Use it, our info on the black Panther party for another essay question. So like totally help someone study and love that. But yeah, she's like, I'm no longer a live and like, I'm really into this now. And like, this is, this is the kicker. This like almost made me cry. So I said, she's going to college. She's going to major in sustainable agriculture, and she was inspired in part by our episode on uh, agroecology in Cuba, oh. on the Organiponicos. Awesome. Isn't that fucking cool? Yeah, that is so cool. <laughs> uh, she's also taking a class on the evolution of gender roles in labor, both compensated and uncompensated, and how mm. that intersects with different aspects of identity. Okay. Yeah, that That's, sounds right. Yeah. I want to take that class. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> Yeah, like, oh my gosh, like, I don't know, we sit here every week, and sometimes I'm like, what the fuck are we doing this for? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, I don't know, that's so cool. Uh, thank you so much for sending that. That definitely made my evening. Uh, thanks, Katie. Best of luck. Yeah, go go out there and fucking do the damn thing. Please save our Earth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That would be great. Not to put it all in your generation, but... Man, that'd be cool. No, it's not all in your generation, but it may be heavily on your generation to inspire the rest <laughs> of us. Yes, yes, please. Okay, we're going to move on to kind of our resource corner here. We had a lot of questions from listeners on kind of the research aspect of our show, specific sources to recommend, so I kind of grouped them all together. Our first one is uh, from a patron um, asking about Nicaragua. Uh, any good book recommendations? Um, I've been in a bit of a hyper focus on Latin America. Unfortunately, the Allende biography I found understandably short. Yeah, that's fair. I'd listen to Castro's, but 
having read Shea's biography and consumed so much periphery material about the Cuban revolution, I think Castro's bio will be a bit of redundant list- listening. Makes sense. Uh, any recs here on Nicaragua or just Latin America in general, it sounds like. I have a good resource for Latin America in general, including some stuff on Nicaragua. To preface it, I'm not as well read as sometimes I sound. I have a long reading <laughs> list that I, I kind of mean to get to. I've been to your house. I've seen your book stack. Yeah, it's it's woefully underread. Um, <laughs> Sometimes I feel bad when I buy you a book. Like, I'm sorry to add to your pile. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel bad when I buy myself a book at this point. I'm like, oh, shit, I don't have time for this. It's going to be a while, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get to you eventually. Just get in line. Yeah. <laughs> so not specifically to Nicaragua, really, but I did see a um, good collection of books about central and south america you know cover thing, covering everything from brazil to mexico to i mean like all over the place in on verso books website so they're kind of like a, a more radical publishing house i've heard of them that's also a really cute name because verso means the left side of the page oh okay there recto is right yeah so don't check out recto they're probably not good recto <laughs> that's a books. shitty bookstore <laughs> but verso also sounds too much like a butt yeah <laughs> Verso books uh, in their just their you know look at their books page, they have like filters and one you can click on Central and South America, so it'll pull up all these different books kind of about left movements throughout the region, you know Venezuela, like I said Mexico, uh, Chile, lots of stuff. So that's one thing I would kind of point you toward. Uh, in general, I mostly used uh, to be honest online sources for. Uh, the Nicaragua coverage. If you are interested in sort of a, well, a Nicaraguan perspective, but in this, this would focus more on the themes of socialism and communism and religion or like liberation theology. Uh, you could check out the writings of Ernesto Cardinal. Oh yeah. I heard of him. Yeah. So, I mean, he's, he's like a Catholic priest, liberation theologist guy. I mean, live, there and was a member of the sandinistas was their minister of culture that's the only kind of priest i fuck with yeah so i mean you can check him out i haven't i haven't really read his writings but i've heard great things about them and it's very you know this grounded in this um in this solidarity um with you know the poor and the downtrodden seeing freeing people from that as you know central to uh central to the that faith's message so that's tangential to it. But like I said, I, I did mostly... Could be cool. Yeah. Yeah. I did mostly internet um, research there. Books-wise, otherwise, in the region and also more broadly, of course, we would recommend Open Veins if you haven't checked it out already. Absolutely. There's also a few on my reading list. We've cited one before, uh, Killing Hope by William Bloom. That's the one that like either the CIA or the FBI had on their like yeah, website. Yeah. For some, on their website? Yeah. yeah. Uh, another one that focuses more on South America uh, by J. Patrice McSherry is Predatory States. I relied on this one some for the Operation Condor episode. So if you want to get more in depth there. And then these books, I think, have they probably refer to elements of U.S. fuckery in Latin America, too, and elsewhere. But they're newer books uh, Washington Bullets by Vijay Prashad and The Jakarta Method by Vincent Bevins. I've been meaning to read both of these, but they're 
about um, how the U.S. you know fucks over the rest of the world in terms of foreign policy yeah. and, and does shady murderous shit and relies on other regimes to do that for them too um, around the world. I've heard of the Jakarta method. That one gets cited a lot in in leftist spaces. Yeah, that's one we could probably do a book club about that one at some point. How big is it? <laughs> uh, is it it may be long? big. It may just be a me reporting sort of thing. You know. <laughs> want to force you to do that but uh i wouldn't mind either <laughs> yeah i'll probably read the introduction and see if it's something you could mess with or not because i know that military-ish type covert type yeah. stuff you know because you were saying yeah. with the intelligent or the uh surveillance mm-hmm. capitalism you didn't really like all the jargon there and i don't know secret op stuff tends to get that way <laughs> i don't know i struggle with like kind of academic reading i think and um, I don't know. I I just like things to be very accessible and very like, I don't know. I like things to be fun to read. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, that's one thing I really appreciate about like the, uh, why women have better sex under socialism. I've, I've almost finished with it. I've got like 40 pages left and it, it was a really quick, easy read, like super approachable. Um, you know, had plenty of meat to back it up for sure. But like, I like shit like that for sure. Like I, yeah, I'll read doorstoppers every now and then, but it has to have a narrative in it or something to keep me going. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, one other suggestion that's on my long-term reading list, but I don't actually know if I'm ever going to get to it. Cause there's a lot of like poetry and essays and stuff in it. And like more, a little bit more artistic stuff than I really, maybe I'll read this one. about. Um, <laughs> but this is like a collection of writings from subcomandante Marcos for like uh, the Zapatistas fame. Yeah, yeah. Called Our Word is Our Weapon. And I've got a link in my notes for this episode to it's like you can find this on the Anarchist Library. Mm, okay. And yeah, I mean I've looked around in it a little bit but I was like, what is what is even happening here? So it was too literary <laughs> for me. Maybe that's what I should read. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have dueling book clubs. So that could be cool, you know, another Latin American perspective. But yeah, that's kind of what I got. I'm curious. I haven't done a full test of this, um, but I was, you know, doing research on Colin Ty and I was trying to find like a book about her at like on my Libby app. Couldn't find anything that like the collection actually owned. And so I was like, I wonder like how communist they let me be on this thing. <laughs> Luckily, I think there's collections of her stuff on Marxist.org, but. Yeah, yeah, there is. Yeah. But I wanted like a biography or something. Mm, yeah. Okay, cool. Hopefully that gets you started um also check out if you have like an anarchist or communist bookstore around you i know that's really rare i'm just i'm thinking of the one i went to in minneapolis and that was rad as fuck so (laughs) yeah that was cool like every book in there i could have read uh maybe not every book there's fucking dust capital in there (laughs) i wouldn't gotten through that one um but you might can find capital in your local library i mean we have them here (laughs) Yeah, check out libraries, too, for sure. Um, And then we have one from Anthony, who's a patron. So thanks for being a patron. And he was looking for recommendations on books about uh, the Communist Party of the United States, CPUSA. It's hard to find anything that isn't, quote, communist bad, end quote, around me. (laughs) (laughs) Which, yeah, I'm sure. Well, if you want the other side of the story, there's there are a couple of old histories that were literally written by cpusa chairman uh so oh cool (laughs) so yeah earl browder 
who was chairman from 1934 to 1945. Uh, he wrote a history of the party called the Communist Party of the USA. It's history, role, and organization. Uh, so that would probably be a good source for old party stuff. Um, what time period is that? So he wrote it in 1941, having been president since 1934, or president, a uh, chairman. And William Z. Foster, uh, who succeeded him, 1945 to 1957, he also wrote a history of the party. Popular pastime in the 40s and 50s. Uh, he wrote a history called History of the Communist Party of the United States. Very blah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Didn't have an agent working with him on that title. Yeah. <laughs> Resubmit, please. So that kind of, you know, some probably insider back, you know, back scenes, behind the scenes, rather. Backstage is the other way to say that. <laughs> <laughs> information so there. I've heard uh, there's also a, a book that I came across in just in searching for your answer I have not read any of these but these are what I can f- dig up uh, a book called let them tremble by Tony Pesinovsky uh, which looks at the lives of six different CPUSA leaders kind of spread out throughout its history as kind of like a lens into what the party was going through at that time. Another one is a little bit narrower in scope. I've heard it cited a lot, and it's one that's on my reading list. Called Hammer and Ho, Alabama Communist During the Great Depression. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah, it's by Robin D.G. Kelly. Uh, that talks a lot about what the Communist Party was doing in, of all places, Alabama, during the 1930s and 40s. Uh, in terms of, you know, the... Civil rights movement, we're always taught, well, this kicks off in the Montgomery bus boycotts in the 50s, and that's really when civil rights even starts. Uh, but you got to understand the communists were running for, for civil rights, not only that, but like for self-determination for the black belt of the United States. Like, that was the Communist Party line, like in the 30s and 40s. They printed, uh, let me show you a campaign leaflet i think this was sir foster william z foster equal rights for black people everywhere self-determination for the black belt it's got uh arrow drawing and it's got the county map and it says vote communist for president hell william yeah. z foster vice president james w ford a black man yeah hell yeah he did so badly electorally though he doesn't even get one of those sections of wikipedia where it says your electoral oh, history you know that's sad yeah Obviously, they were doing badass shit. (laughs) Beyond just presidential campaigns, which they knew they were going to lose, um, they were actually doing, you know, organizing among black laborers and sharecroppers, all this stuff, in a completely hostile part of the country. That's cool. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, And then this is not a book recommendation, but there is a YouTube documentary called American Reds, The Rise and Fall of the American Communist Party. Uh, Mm -hmm. You can find this on the YouTube channel for uh, Afro Marxist. It's cool. Like they interview and I don't know what they're trying. I think what they're trying to do in the documentary is essentially play a sympathetic look at communist activists because they interview most of the people they interview are communists. Like uh, they're people who are were were or are literal communist party members including like their chairman, including different like Gus Hall, I think is in there uh, activists, you know, people, people really were into this. And I think the way they portray it initially is like, 
kind of strange. Some people, you know, people would actually fight for communism, but here's their side of the story sort of thing. I don't know. They, mm. To me, it seems like they tried to play it straight and like, at least in, maybe they're trying to appeal to regular people. Yeah, maybe. But then the, the, the film itself, to me, just comes across as broadly pro. The only questioning part is some is sort of like, oh, but you know Stalin. I don't know. There was Stalin. I've seen some documentaries that like fall into that kind of interesting characterization where, where they're like, this person's really cool, but also Stalin. But also this person's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really weird. Like... 90% of it is like on our side. I, guess. I mean, well, I'm not like I'm a big Stalin head, but you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's what I've got for you, Anthony. So hopefully it gives you a starting point, kind of like the other reading rec list. <laughs> Quick update. I just searched through my Libby app for some communist shit, putting myself on even more lists than I already am. <laughs> they've got some, they, I mean, not everything, but you know, if you just search, They've, they've got Dust Capital. They've got <laughs> the Manifesto. They have uh, Rules for Radicals uh, by, was that Saul Alinsky? That's Saul Alinsky, yeah. Yeah, I hear that one's good. I put it on my to-read list. It's good tactically. It is, it is, um... Uh-oh. It's hard to read? No, no it's not. It's, it's kind of funny to read, but it's it's to be taken from the perspective of a of a reformer you know, ah. of someone who is seeing as radical, just, you know, taking to the streets and winning, winning concessions from the political system. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that'll give me some hope for the immediate future. It's not nothing. And it's, it's not bad organizing um, advice for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. I'm personally going to go through our little, we have a running list of books that we're <laughs> trying to get to at some point, And I'm going to see what's on the library, how long they are and, you know, maybe I signed myself a few books. One thing I've, I've found, as much as I have resisted digital reading in the past, I now find I read faster on it. Uh, so I think I'm going to try to get some book reports going. You've been corrupted. I have. <laughs> okay, I think that's it. I'm kind of tired. Yeah, me too. I'm going to work tomorrow. Mm. Get everything ready for the first day. Maybe one day you'll be teaching in the commune. Maybe. <laughs> you could teach propaganda. I'll yeah. co-teach with you. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's all we'll teach. Yeah, well, duh. So. But you can <laughs> teach, like, the theory stuff, and then I'll be like, well, let's make a cool poster about it. Yeah, sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> sounds great. See you in the commune. Uh, before that, though, what are we doing next week? Oh, uh, next week. Oh, we shooting are the shit. Shooting the shit. So we'll see. Hopefully interesting things happen this week. <laughs> so we can talk about them. Let us know. Yeah. <laughs> and let us know if you have any questions for the future. Definitely. Please do. Send those in. Uh, we've got our email and social. All that stuff is in the outro that probably no one listens to at this point because it's just pre-recorded. But if you want to, I made a cool song that goes in the background. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I did make a MIDI file for that, and that was fun. It's a, it's a banger, by the way. Thank you. Or a bop, either way. I don't know. Whatever they're saying nowadays. It slaps. It's, I don't know. Is slap still a thing? Who knows? Oh, I'm probably old. probably not. If it takes off on TikTok, we'll know we've made it. Yeah. <laughs> and the MP3 is on Patreon. So if you want it, go there and then make us famous on TikTok. Make it a sound and, on TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Do it. Uh, that's our challenge to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll count that as action. <laughs> uh, as some direct action. <laughs> 
Oh, that's dumb. Okay. Uh, I have a good week. That's not how we end the show. Uh, I'll talk to you later. All right. See ya. <laughs> I'm falling apart. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Hey there, comrades. Just jumping in to remind you of all of our social media. We are on Twitter at Teach Communism, Instagram at Teach Me Communism. You can shoot us an email. That's teachmecommunism at gmail.com. Any of those places are good to send us an episode suggestion or a question, anything you think would be useful feedback for us or just your admiration. If you want to admire us in a public manner, and you should, you can go to Apple Podcasts to give us a review. It is the best way to help people find the show. Love when people write and review us. Please do both. We are also on YouTube if that's how you prefer to listen to podcasts, or if you know someone that's the only way they'll listen to podcasts, send them to our page. And we have a Patreon. For five bucks a month, you get access to our notes for each week's episode, including the backlog of notes, which is a very handy resource for up-and-coming commies. And at the end of the year, all of the funds from Patreon will be given to local mutual aid in the DFW area. So, ain't going to line our pockets. Finally, we have merch. Check us out at Tee Public. You can find shirts and I believe also stickers and magnets and all kinds of fun stuff with catchphrases from the show or episode art, stuff like that. The link to that store is in the show notes, so check that out. Okay, that's all the internet. Join us next time for another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye, y'all.